Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. So we got two stories. One is the almost complete ousting of Liz Cheney from the House GOP leadership and Facebook actually upholding the ban of President Trump from its platform. Currently, Kevin McCarthy and the House leadership is trying to oust Cheney from her position in the House GOP leadership. Currently, the frontrunner to replace her is Representative Ellis Stefanik of New York, who actually pushed big lie conspiracy theories. Let me just say that this was no surprise. Everyone knew Cheney's time was limited when she began going against Trump and I would say like actually defending democracy. Obviously, being a former Republican vice president, daughter of former vice president Dick Cheney, they won't get her anything these days. You know, it's, it's all irrelevant now. She's kind of a member of the old conservative guard. But as her record shows, Cheney has always been very conservative and her voting record reflects that. But at least she, you know, she cares about her democracy and she knows that the last administration was extremely toxic for the nation. That doesn't sit well with what has now become the pro-Trump party. And unfortunately, she's being ousted out of it. This is exhibit A as to why the current Republican Party has no policy goals. Cheney voted for Trump, according to 538, 92.9% of the time. Okay. She was a, you know, like you said, big conservative. She's she's number three in House leadership. Tried to take her out at the beginning of this year, I believe. And Matt Gates went to her home in Wyoming and he was saying, oh, we're going to primary her come 2022. And well, backroom vote didn't happen. Didn't, didn't force her out in, I believe, January. But yeah, now the rift is so big that the past be damned. This is best explained by uh, Lindsey Granval people who said on uh, Fox News to the extent of, we can't move forward without President Trump. Quote, I've always liked Liz Cheney, but she's made a determination that the Republican Party can't grow with President Trump. I've determined we can't grow without him, end quote. I mean, that says it all. This party does not care about growth, doesn't care about outreach, doesn't care about any progression towards an actual policy position, doesn't care about expanding the voter base, doesn't care about what it stood for 150 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. 10 years ago, five years ago, it doesn't matter. The past doesn't matter. All that matters is the cult of Donald Trump. And listen, I applaud Liz Cheney for doing this. I applaud her for sticking to her guns and not debasing herself like this. But remember, she voted for impeachment the second time that Trump incited the insurrection. I just want to say that while I'm praising her, this is the absolute bare minimum any self-respecting representative should do, any representative of the United States government. As Adam Servers wrote in The Atlantic, she played into obstructionist anti-Obama talking points, as well as many Trumpist fallbacks, saying the Democrats are inherently anti-Semitic. I mean, yes, she's the daughter of former vice president. You'd expect her to be on more conservative side. But, the, you know, just because of these actual conservatives decide not to go way past the deep end, it doesn't mean they're all angels. It doesn't mean they're all completely innocent in the aggression of um, their party. But again, I'm glad Elizabeth Cheney did this. And um, I hope the primary against her fails. 
Yeah, and I definitely hope she wins a primary because most likely she's going to have a more uh, far-right primary challenger, someone that, you know, falls more in line with the House GOP. But going back to your point about Lindsey Graham, actually five years ago, he did say, I mean, I don't have the exact quote here, but he did say, along with Ted Cruz, that if we made Trump the nominee, then it would destroy the GOP. And they were right about that because now they can't, like you said, they can't move in any other direction other than what the previous president wants. And I also agree with the idea that, you know, people like Mitt Romney, like Liz Cheney, people in the media tend to mistake them for being more progressive, more moderate. But the reality is they've been extremely conservative. They have very conservative voting records. It's just that Trump has kind of shifted the center more to the right, so much so that they look more progressive by comparison because they're not defending, you know, his ideology, his anti-democratic rhetoric and all of that. I mean, I challenge the fact that Trumpists are more far right. They're just more authoritarian in general, policy be damned. But this is a good time to talk about the front runner for Cheney's position, Louis Stefanik. Remember how I said that Cheney voted with Trump almost 93% of the time? Well, in that same 538 analysis, Stefanik voted with Trump 77.7% of the time. And know what that includes? One of the only pieces of actual policy the Trump administration had, which was the 2017 tax cuts. That basically blew a giant hole in the deficit that capped salt deductions, which is why Stefanik voted against it. And that's really why some of these more Trumpists are coming after him. It's like, it's like death of Stalin. It's like the historical events that play out after his position on the, as a general secretary of the Communist Party in, in Russia. It was vacant. It, it was a power struggle. And these people are turning on each other. The, the club for growth that you know launched a big ad campaign against the Lincoln Project, for instance, they went after Stefanik when this was first announced, even though McCarthy and Gillies, the top two Republicans in the House, are, were backing her. This isn't about policy. It's just about loyalty. It's not about conservatism. It's not about democracy. It's just about personality cult. There's no reason to think they'll change. This party is done. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the comparison of the Snooze family for power to, you know, the death of Stalin in 1953. I think, you know, I think there's definitely a lot of differences between them. And I I just don't think, I'm I'm just not sure we can make the comparison here, but I agree that it's a complete ideology war out there for, you know, GOP leadership right now. Basically, the people that are rising to the top in the party now echo Trump's policy and rhetoric the most. Elis Stefanik echoes Trump rhetoric far more than Liz Cheney does, and that's why she's the frontrunner for the number three spot. Ron DeSantis for the governor. Many people are saying he's the current frontrunner for 2024 GOP nomination because he echoes Trump's rhetoric with what he's done with COVID-19, with all the legislation he has recently signed. Yeah, I mean, it's just a game of whoever can imitate the former guy in Mar-a-Lago and whoever can basically make him happiest. If we don't want to go with the communist Russia analogy, let's just go with the classic example of the mafia. This is a mob purely built on loyalty to the Don, the godfather, the head. If you cross the line on the big Don, as Cheney did, you get cast aside. In the 2020 election, he still got 75 million votes, which is a huge amount of votes, most ever for a sitting president. And if we want to get rid of Trumpism that currently lives in the GOP and has completely taken it over. It, there's a challenge ahead because there are millions of Americans all over the nation that like what Trump has done, that like his rhetoric, think he'll be better for jobs and for the economy and for immigration than any other person will be. 
So the issue just runs so much deeper than what we're seeing in Washington right now. So the second story is Facebook upholding the Trump ban. And yeah, good. I'm perfectly happy with this. He used the platform to spread the big lie, to say that he won, to say that election was rigged and that there were fraudulent votes. And it comes a point where enough is enough. The line needs to be drawn somewhere as to what you can say on a platform like Facebook. If these tech companies want to be the public square, if they want to be where everyone can say anything, they can become pieces of international commerce and discussion, like a public square, then they have to act like a public square. They have to not only stop censoring conservatives, but when someone incites violence using the public square, using the platform, they deserve to get banned. They deserve to get kicked off the platform. It wasn't really Facebook themselves who made this decision. It was a board that I believe was appointed and is quasi-independent from Facebook. I was actually kind of disappointed because although the decision to uphold and continue the Trump ban, I thought it was right because, as you said, he did essentially use the platform to spread lies that poison our democracy and eventually led to insurrection. But the question now is, what role do social media companies play in modern day politics? Think about what they did, right? They banned the president of the United States from using social media. It just sounds like such a big thing to do. And I, while I agree with it, because what, the, what that president had done was terrible, Facebook needs to set policy for how it deals in the public officials and stuff like that. I think once people in Washington and Facebook come to a decision, then, you know, that's how we should regulate them. You're absolutely right. But I'll go even further to say that these big tech companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they should only be a very small part of this discussion. This surveillance capitalism, this, you know, complete control over what we do and what we say and what we buy, this has to be dealt with by means of breakups and by big, bold action. And and I'm not saying this to be populist. I'm not saying this to scare anyone, not saying this to, you know, say that, oh, you know, the big government has to come in. I'm saying this because we're in a new era. You know, this is a new era of politics and uh, communication. And we pretty much waddle into it with the skilled age long gone and with very novel understanding of what this technology did. And now that we're just starting to wake up to it, you know, we need to have the people who are most knowledgeable on these issues that aren't just part of these companies or bought out by the lobbyists to do the work. I mean, we need to bring Shoshana Zuboff, the uh, author of Surveillance Capitalism, you know, this discussion. We need to bring political scientists and sociologists and scholars and the coders themselves in on this to actually come to a consensus, to come to at least some kind of understanding on how to do this. As much as I like David Cicilline, it can't just be him. It can't just be a bunch of staffers in Congress. It has to be an effort part of regulatory agencies, their independent third parties, and to a smaller extent, the, the companies who are going to have to actually you know, do the dirty work and actually enforce this. Yeah, I definitely agree that sociologists and political scientists have to contribute to the conversation. But many people like Trump and, you know, his uh, fellow politicians are currently leaving these mainstream social media platforms. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chico, but, I'm, but I believe Trump's going to be rolling out his own social media platform. I think that was a blog, but yeah. I mean, Mike Lindell has his own thing. Parler's trying to get back. I think they succeeded for like a week. But you're right. We're going to have parallel internet. So like, we're all worried that, you know, China with WeChat, that they are, you know, walled off ecosystem. They're going to have their own internet. We're not going to be connected. We're not going to be able to share even common good scientific ideas. We're going to have parallel internets in our own country. 
And I agree, that's not a good way to deal with defending democracy, to deal with in the asymmetrical polarization. But again, at some point, the line needs to be drawn. Anyone who actively pushed the big lie, who pushed the insurrection on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and called for violence against doctors during the pandemic, they need to go. They do not deserve a voice on the public square. I agree. And, but the worst case scenario is that social media turns into what we have with the media now, where you either watch CNN or MSNBC or mainstream stuff, or you watch Fox News and Newsmax. And, you know, we already see on Facebook that due to, and I believe we've, I saw this in the documentary Social Dilemma, that there's an algorithm. And based off of your activity, it kind of puts you in your own echo chamber with your own beliefs and stuff like that. And I'm worried that with Trump and Lindell pioneering these different alternate social media platforms, we're going to see more of that. And we're going to become more divided, probably in suburbs itself. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Stock Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero Stock Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero Stock Poly, with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.